For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to Edge of Sports, the podcast brought to you by the Nation Magazine. I'm Dave Tyron. This week we are going back to the Basketball Butterfly Effect series with Aficionado Aria Sharadi. Basketball Butterfly Effect, when we look at draft decisions, we came out how the NBA world as we now know it would have been dramatically altered if a critical decision had gone in the other direction. So far we've looked at the 2003 draft and asked what the world would be like if the Pistons Anthony instead of Darko Milicic. We looked at the 1996 draft and asked what if the Charlotte Hornets had held on to future legend and 18-year-old Kobe B. Bryant instead of trading him to the Lakers for the paint-huffing, Virginia-slim-sucking Vlade Divac. And we wondered how history would have been different if in 1984 the Portland Trail Blazers with the number two pick had resisted big, sexy Sam Bowie and gone with this guy named Michael Jordan. We also, on a more serious note, looked at the 1986 Len Bias draft and asked what could have been. But tonight we have a good one. We go to the 1993 draft and a forgotten trade that if it had never happened, well, we'd be living in a much different world. 1993. The first pick in the draft was held by the Orlando Magic. This was a little weird because they had improved dramatically the previous season from being utterly hideous to 41 and 41. Thanks to rookie center and aspiring rapper Shaquille O'Neal, a.k.a. Shaq Fu. And somehow, through the draft lottery, they got the number one pick and they picked the consensus choice, Michigan All-American Chris Webber. They even put Shaq on the phone with him and they talked on live TV about how no one would ever get a rebound again when they play the Magic. Then, with the number two pick, the 76ers, of course, they select Sean Bradley, rest in peace. And with the third pick, the Golden State Warriors selected Anthony Penny Hardaway, a brilliant tall point guard out of Memphis. And I remember this too. They immediately put him on the phone with Tim Hardaway and they joshed about an all Hardaway backcourt in Golden State. Then the trade. Weber now in Golden State and Hardaway in Orlando and Hoops has changed forever. Let's go to Arya Shirazi. And before we get into the butterfly effect, if the trade hadn't happened, I have three questions for you. First, Is there anything you want to add to that sum up? Anything I missed about the trade? No, I think you covered everything with it. Okay, cool. So let's, before we talk about what their careers could have been, talk, let's talk a little bit about Chris Weber's career. Uh, Please, if you could like your thoughts about Weber's career, its trajectory, and frankly, whether it reached its 
awesome promise that he showed at the University of Michigan? Well, briefly, uh, as you had said, Weber was the number one pick and at the time considered the consensus number one. And I had seen a lot of Weber at Michigan and that Michigan uh, Fab Five Wolverine squad over the two years that he had been there, very successful two years, back-to-back losses in the national championship. So, uh, so I was familiar with his game on the college level, and I did not take him for a number one overall pick, actually, and definitely not the consensus, no questions asked, number one, which he appeared to be. Uh, he, he was an excellent front court player, Uh, both skill-wise, IQ-wise, and athleticism-wise, with a great body. But he, again, I didn't necessarily see that development from All-America College big man to all-star power forward, for sure. I didn't know if it would translate to that level that and I actually felt similarly about Penny at Memphis whose game I was less familiar with than I had been at Weber he didn't get quite the exposure in college that Michigan did uh and what I had known of Hardaway was that he was a uh a a great player and kind of a unique player point guard at that height, but also wasn't sure that he was worthy of an overall number one pick. But as far as Weber goes, uh, Weber comes in, uh, as you said, the draft day trade happens. So he never plays with Shaq. He goes to golden state playing uh, uh, with a good veteran squad under Don Nelson and has a really good year wins rookie of the year, uh, And then in unusual circumstances, which we'll get into over the course of this conversation, uh, he's he's granted free agency after his rookie year in an unusual clause that didn't really exist shortly after that and winds up being traded to Washington, where he puts up big numbers amid some injury riddled seasons on some pretty uninspiring wizard squads that don't win a lot of games. And it's a few years later, it's after five years that he gets traded to Sacramento. Also at the time, kind of a moribund uh, uh, franchise uh, that hadn't done anything really in forever. He gets traded for an aging Mitch Richmond and it's in Sacramento that he really builds his reputation his legend and becomes a player that I did not necessarily see kind of exceeds my expectations of what he can do on the NBA level, becoming an all NBA performer and becoming the centerpiece of an emerging team in Sacramento that is hoping to knock off the Lakers and represent the West. And it's kind of becomes a fashionable choice for a few years to do just that. And obviously comes very, very close to doing it. Uh, uh, They don't get over the hump. He, uh, he suffers further injuries and never really, and then begins kind of a downward spiral, both in games played per years and kind of numbers and impact and uh, uh, retires, uh, you know, uh, after bouncing around to a few more teams and is looked at as kind of a surefire hall of famer and actually takes longer 
than expected uh, to actually get voted into the hall wh where he now resides and is held up as one of kind of the impact and, and great players of his era being the, the 90s into the uh, into the early 2000s. So that's kind of a nutshell of Chris Weber's career. Uh, uh, is there anything I, I, you'd like I, to add to that? Yeah, just one thing is that I always felt like um... – the writers and the basketball people punished him for not reaching the potential that they saw for him when he came out of Michigan. That's why I thought your analysis was really interesting because, you know, look like looking at it from the perspective of, well, what if he hit a height that maybe he wasn't built to reach when he was in Sacramento? Maybe we need to look at it like that. And then of course, injuries derailed the rest of it, unfortunately, while a lot of these basketball uh, media people like they compare him to people like Kevin Garnett or uh, obviously Tim Duncan. Now Duncan's on a whole nother level, but you know, Garnett got his MVP. Garnett got his ring with the Celtics. Garnett's career kind of has this narrative to it. Um, Weber's career has a, a much rockier, less satisfying narrative. And I, I think never... he gets punished for that. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of validity to what you say. And actually, I never considered Weber actually in that category. And then so as far as him, Chris comes in to a, a league and a West where Carl Malone is still the class of power forwards and, and wins both of his MVPs once Weber is already a few years into his career and then his cont more contemporaries Garnett and Duncan come in accumulating uh, individual honors and in Duncan's case championships uh, it, if Weber falls short against those players I agree with him falling short I never felt that he was that player. And even when uh, when these players made up the class of the Western Conference forwards, the Western Conference power forwards, uh, both in all-star and all-NBA recognition and playoff wins, I never considered Weber on that level of uh, Duncan or Garnett, which was why... I was uh, surprised when those Sacramento teams, which granted were not a one-man show by any stretch, but he was the centerpiece and kind of the franchise player of that squad. Uh, they had overachieved, in my opinion, uh, and and his stature elevated for me and many other people uh, uh, as that team was becoming more successful and trying to challenge for Western Conference supremacy. Uh, one other thing I would like to say, Dave, is uh, he might, uh, you, you were talking about kind of uh, him not getting his due or almost, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the media or writers kind of punishing him in a way. As much as his competition and his position, I think Penny Hardaway had a great deal to do with that because Due to the draft day trade, they are forever linked. And Penny, his 
superstar comes on instantly, comes on quicker than Weber's, both his individual performance, his personality, and his uh, his stardom, his superstardom. Little Penny. And Little Penny, of course. And the fact that he plays with Shaq, goes to a finals in his second year, and is really in a way especially from basketball smarks considered the driving force behind that team considered the the poetic aspect behind that team considered the leader behind that team and with good cause so i think weber uh suffers his whole career reputation wise and perception wise being compared to how quickly Penny became a top five player in the league that was for a very brief time expected to be on top of the league with multiple championships or at least multiple championship appearances to his name. And then it's kind of ironic that Penny, uh, Penny star largely due to injuries and some other circumstances is, uh, is, is dashed prematurely and far earlier than anybody expected and, and really as it should have. And as that's happening, Weber starts to rise again, starts to rise. Yeah. And, 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 and the script kind of flips. I mean, injuries plagued both of their careers. And one of the butterfly effect questions is we all know that so much of basketball is situational. What happens if they're in other places, if, Weber's in Orlando, Hardaway is in Golden State. Maybe they don't have the injuries. Who knows? Maybe they um, are able to play their careers and we don't have to ask what if with regards to both of their potentials. Because I do think Weber missed having this whole what could have been really cool back end of his career like Garnett had. Um, if not, you know, remember, remember Weber on the 76ers dragging his foot up and down the court. Absolutely. Absolutely. And watch. yes. And it only got worse. Mm hmm. Yeah. Oh God. On, on Detroit, uh, as like an eighth man, as they went for a championship, it was like, come on, man. No, both of them really, again, had too brief a period uh, in their athletic and physical primes <laughs> when health allowed them to really uh, maximize their games and, 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 and their youthful bodies. Uh, the, the interesting thing that I have been thinking about, one of the many interesting things preparing for this discussion and leading to uh, listening to you introduce it is the conversations that we've had the past few episodes, uh, primarily the first three, we are talking about moves that led to championships and championship eras. These two players who we're talking about, again, forever linked in history because of the draft day trade, uh, have zero championships to their name, mm. both as featured performers or as supporting players in, as you said, the back end of their careers. They never even get an Alonzo Mourning or Gary Payton-style championship uh, you know, uh, to conclude their career. <laughs> so we're not talking about moves that led to championships. We're talking about moves that led to almost championships and falling short of championships 
So the quest, one of the many questions is if, if, if that draft day trade doesn't happen and that's not the way that they start their careers, uh, do they find themselves in different championship situations or is the championship picture in their respective conferences altered because of that? Mm. That's the question right there for sure. Um, and then that, that'll get to that first point, which is, is this a championship club? I'm about to, I'm about to share with you. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal at the center position, Chris Weber at the four, Nick Anderson at the three, Dennis Scott at the two. And this is where it gets a little tricky. It would be Scott Skiles at point because Scott Skiles actually did largely start at point Penny's rookie year. And they would sort of cycle Penny in a little bit, play him off the ball. Skiles had a pretty firm handle on the role. So that's my starting five for this team is Skiles, Scott, Anderson, uh, Shaq, and Webb. And uh, not a lot on the bench, um, unless you think Todd Lichty has that special Stanford something. I don't. Um, <laughs> you do not. Um, so what are your thoughts on that team? My thoughts are that, uh, and, and pardon me if I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but I think that the trade actually worked out correct for both teams. And, and we're going back to, to 93 and, uh, and the anticipation of that draft and the anticipation that Weber is going to be the number one pick. And Shaq is coming off his uh, monstrous uh, rookie year where he is really kind of the talk of the league going into his second year already. And, uh, you know, and is already a major factor the teams around the league are looking at having to adjust to only one year in and looking at that O'Neal and Weber pairing. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it has the potential, especially now in hindsight to look at them playing together at that time and say that, uh, 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 that that would be kind of a nuts inside four or five tandem, both offensively, defensively, and on the boards. But the real history is that there was Shaq and Penny is almost a perfect combination. And, you know, and there have been, I think, you know, books and at least one really good 30 for 30 addressing just that, addressing how Shaq's decision to bolt Orlando in 96 after only four years with the team uh, really submarined what was, what very well could have been uh, a run of championship appearances for them, even with the team that Chicago uh, put together at that, at that time, which wound up going for three championships. Uh, and it is, it is Orlando's decision to cash Weber in for Hardaway that uh, where they then turned to Horace Grant to fill that role at the four and coming off those per three perimeter players who you've mentioned, Horace winds up being the perfect 
front court mate for O'Neal and fifth starter for that unit that enables them to make that championship appearance and have hopes of uh, of becoming a dynasty that winds up not happening for them. Uh, my feeling is uh, I don't know that Weber having uh, more offensive potential and explosiveness than Horace ever had is content to play that ultra complementary role on offense that Horace does. Uh, so it might be a bit of a bumpier uh, transition uh, uh, in addition to his, his youth. Uh, and also uh, I'm a, a big Scott Skiles fan and Scott was still a good ball player at that point, but uh looking at, at him replacing what Penny brought for those few years where where uh where they were really a beautiful squad. Uh it, I almost I almost find it a stretch to say that uh Weber uh in his first few years in the league playing still in the shadow of Shaq uh and uh and not having Penny as that, you know, as that one A star, uh, I don't see them going higher than they wound up doing after making the trade. And my feeling is that they would have had to find Skiles' replacement to take their to take the team to that level that they wound up achieving, albeit briefly with Penny. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think the part that's so seductive about Weber and Shaq on the same team is one thing that Weber was really good at was passing out of, out of the post, off the wing. I mean, he really made that Sacramento team a uh, hum, uh, as did, of course, Divots and Mike Bibby, you know, White Chocolate and all of them. But But I can see him and Shaq just being a lethal combination with interior passing. But I also think there's a reason why Prime Shaq never played with a flashy power forward. He always played with a what he always needed was a, was the wing. Whether it was Hardaway, Kobe or Wade, like that's what he needed to thrive was a wing, not a star power forward. It doesn't quite work. It's like nuts and gum. Uh but at the same time, I I feel like they're both so talented they could have made it work and would have given us something very exciting a very exciting product seeing them out there together um i man it's a tough one all right uh and then we can uh, i i just think you're right i just i just i'm agreeing with like i just don't think Shaq works with with a star power forward and i i don't know why i'm saying this but i feel like you know the sad thing about Penny not staying healthy and Shaq not staying in Orlando is that Penny also, unlike, say, Kobe, had the perfect temperament to go with Shaq. Shaq was big, Shaq was flashy, and Penny was cool. You know, Kobe, of course, ran really hot and, you know, get frustrated with Shaq not being in shape and getting the shots and all the rest of it. It's like Penny was operating on a more Zen level. So I wish those two had been able to stay together and do their thing. 
Um, I, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I feel like Weber and Shaq would have had ego um, problems. Um, I, you know, w- Weber, you know, was in a great situation at Golden State and forced himself out of there. I remember when Don Nelson offered to quit if Weber would stay. Yeah, the the whole thing was unusual, and I think even to this, you know, th- it, it's it's fun that we're talking uh, about this right now because it's thirty years old, yeah. which is crazy. <laughs> which is crazy. Uh, exactly, you know, we're talking about something that happened thirty years ago, and you're you're so right when you're talking about uh, about fit and and uh, and the difficulty of. Uh, of an all-star power forward playing alongside O'Neal. I think throughout Shaq's career, if we look at the four men he played with, they're almost always complementary players, uh, total role players in the Horace Grant mold, because that's what worked. Because what we are talking about is a very specific, is the era. Right now, saying that doesn't mean as much in in positionless basketball and everybody shooting threes and power forwards like Lowry Markinen, you know, playing, you know, playing out on the perimeter and, you know, being seven foot and playing like a six, eight guy. Uh, We're talking about 1993 through the remainder of that decade, where being an all star power forward meant that you were doing work inside. The Amen. great players could take their games outside as well, could take it to the perimeter, could make plays off the dribble. That's what separated a really good power forward from an all-star. And Weber certainly in that all-star category. But as you were saying correctly, uh, Chris Weber was an, you know, was an inside player. And whether it was facing up his back to the basket or or just, you know, tip dunking off missed shots or beating other fours in transition. It was very much that physicality, the athleticism inside. And nobody commanded uh, their team's interior more than Shaq, both both physically and, uh, you know, kind of spiritually. So the idea, so somebody like Weber... Uh, who was such a good inside player would have had to absolutely subjugate his game in order to play next to uh, O'Neal, which, as you would have said, you could you could see him balking at that, or at least that being a rough transition for him and for the team. Whereas uh, Penny wound up being the perfect complement and didn't have those kind of. Uh, those kind of spacing conflicts. Uh, Weber in Gold State uh, was, I I don't think that there's another situation like it where somebody was the number one pick, had a rookie of the year season, and then uh, then only played that one year, that one year on the team. And uh, I remember being very disappointed when it wound up being a one-year experiment, not only because I was always a fan of uh, of the Don Nelson Warriors, really, you know, any any team that Nelly ever coached, but also because you look at that squad, which uh, 
you know, under the run TMC years had always been a lot of fun and always had kind of a second round ceiling. They weren't going to be there at the end. When Weber came on board as the number one pick and showed himself instantly to be an impact player, he was playing with guys like Latrell Sprewell, Chris Mullen, uh, as you had said, Tim Hardaway, and Billy Owens, which looking back now is like, you know, one of my favorite squads ever. I wish I could watch that team play now. But, uh, you know, and Weber uh, continuing to grow every year. Uh, it's too bad that he forced himself out of that situation after that single successful year, because I really would have liked to see what that team uh, not only with Nelson's schemes, but the the the, the multi-dimensional players that he had at that time to plug into those roles. Uh, I think, if not playing for championships, would have been a really really fun factor in an already fun Western Conference at that time. So we were deprived of that uh, for, uh, for a few uh, fairly unmemorable years in D.C. And, of course, if Weber doesn't go to Golden State and doesn't force his way out, Latrell Sprewell probably never chokes P.J. Carlissimo. Yeah, correct. Correct. Oh, my God. Yeah, everything and if he gets, doesn't, yeah. If he doesn't choke Carlissimo, he doesn't get kicked out in the league, and then the basically, and then the Knicks take a chance on him and go to the finals, and probably one of the five most memorable Knicks teams ever. A draft day trade in '93 creates reverberations a decade, uh, a decade in with teams that weren't even involved in that initial trade which is why uh which is why we do these shows well let me also just throw at you that was that would have been a great sum up except i also want to add that it would have been really cool to see what don nelson would have done with penny hardaway that would have been some ahead of its time stuff i think um you know i keep thinking of with with nelly the way he understood paul pressy was a better ball handler than sydney moncrief and so ran the ball offensively through Moncrief, Moncrief in this case being Spreewell, because Tim Hardaway was injured that whole year next year. And Penny just running the point from day one, none of this Scott Skiles bullshit, but just running it from game <laughs> one. It took a while for Brian Hill, you know, the, the great Brian Hill, to be convinced that Hardaway should be playing the one. I remember like people screaming that, that, you know, that what, what the hell are you doing? This kid is a point guard. So yeah, no, this, this is really interesting. It, it's, it's also a trade. I mean, what's so interesting about this to me is that it's a trade of two people who, um, who didn't, who I, I, because of injuries, you know, didn't hit their ceiling. I feel like, as much as any player of that time, Penny Hardaway's game has gotten lost in translation or because it didn't have the longevity and because, uh, and because of the time distance now 
uh, I feel that who Penny Hardaway was as a player was really spectacular. And there's still not been not been a carbon copy of Penny. It's 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 hard to really describe how he came into the league. Uh and and you know and 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 having the exposure that he did playing with O'Neill and the excess and the success that Orlando immediately had uh you know uh, with that core uh so talking about him playing under Nelson is absolutely a tantalizing uh a tantalizing uh prospect and i mean as much as we've been talking about Weber and the accomplishments that Weber had and the fact that 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 Chris's prime was 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 cut short shorter that really uh, than it should have been penny is really to me the uh, if there's an element of tragedy here it is penny because uh after Shaq leaves Penny has a major chip on his shoulder, and it's also the point where Penny gets to show that he's a true franchise player. And what can an Orlando team with uh, unquestionably led by Hardaway and almost unburdened by uh, by building a team around Shaquille? Uh, what does that team look like, and what can they accomplish? And I think that he has maybe one healthy year post Shaq in Orlando where he's fantastic, where he's he plays at an MVP level. And then he suffers the knee injury, the first knee injury that he never really uh, uh, returns from. You know, really uh, the sad part of both of those guys' trajectories is that uh, they limped around on one leg for uh, the second half of their careers. And for two players like that who played like that and moved like that to have their athletic prime uh, shortened, uh, uh, thus diminishing what they were able to do uh, uh, was really was really very sad. And uh, we've talked about Weber in Hardaway's case, really kind of creates uh, creates an opening. I mean, that Orlando team and, and even just Penny in particular is looked at for those few years in the mid-90s as possibly uh, the player that's going to lead the league, lead mm-hmm. the league forward. Uh, you know, Jordan is older. Stockton is older. Malone is older. Uh, Barkley's pretty much on his way out. So Hardaway, along with Shaq, are really the two guys looked at as the big man and the guard who either together or then separately can possibly uh, take this league forward. And then instead of Hardaway, it really winds up becoming players like uh, Allen Iverson, Tim Duncan, and Kobe Bryant fill that role 
both mm-hmm. in terms of uh, of individual awards and championship appearances. Mm. Well, that's 1993 basketball butterfly effect. Chris Webber, Penny Hardaway in a special game of Trading Places. All right, favorite line from Trading Places? What's yours? Uh, Why don't I do mine? Where in Hell is Beaks? No, there's better ones than that. No, that's fantastic. Such a great film. Five (laughs) dollars. Maybe I'll go to the movies by myself. Half of it is from me. Thank you, Mr. Mortimer. Timeless. Oh, so good. Oh, my God. Philadelphia classic. Absolutely. And much funnier than Philadelphia. Yeah, funnier for sure. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, for everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. To everybody at The Nation magazine, thank you so much.